From Koningstein Road in the east to Cetus Gap in the west, an orange curtain has descended across the Ojai Valley. This is Ojai Talk of the Town. Hey everyone, it's Brett Bradigan, editor of your Ojai Magazines, the monthly and quarterly. This episode, we have a rising talent, Beckett McDowell, who has just released two singles, Pale Blue Eyes and Weirdo, and he's going on tour with the famous Dave Mason, the architect of the British invasion. This conversation goes wide and deep, and it's going to be uh, remarkable when you learn that this young man is only 18 years old. And when he inevitably becomes a global superstar, you'll be able to say that you heard him here first. Hey, Beckett. Thanks for joining me. Hello. How you doing? Great. Well, you have some very exciting news yeah. about uh, your new recordings and going on tour. Yeah, Can you pretty. Tell us about this. Well, yeah, I've um, I've recorded an eight-song uh, EP album. I don't know what you call it anymore. I think EP is still the... Yeah, I think it's called... It'd be like a 12-inch. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I got this EP I worked on with uh, Pierre Bouvier from Simple Plan, the band. I don't know if you know them, but... Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a big deal. Yeah, we... During COVID, um, when everything was locked down, you know, he's my neighbor, and he has a little studio in his house, so... Um, we just we just were like, hey, you want? I had a song. Actually, no. What actually happened was my little brother Finn golfs a lot. Yeah, and so, so do you, don't you? Not as much. Not as much. I used to. I used to be pretty good, but now I, I got don't. music. Yeah, music definitely got in the way of my golfing career. But um, my little brother Finn is like a he's like a pro almost. Yeah. He, he actually, I think he beat a bunch of uh, he beat a bunch of like the adult guys at the end. He like beat oh, them in man. a tournament. They were it's kind of bummed. It was they were kind of bummed. <laughs> but um yeah, uh he was golfing and Pierre golf, so they were golfing together during COVID and I had worked on a I had a twenty song or eighteen song album that I worked on with another guy named Denny. And uh I had it and I had written all the songs, a couple with my friends, but mainly it was me and um we we just Finn gave him the C D I had. Uh-huh. Nobody has CDs anymore, so everybody was kind of yeah. mad. Like, how do you even play a CD? <laughs> I know. No, but, um, yeah, he he gave it to Pierre, and Pierre was, like, two weeks later, I got a call from, actually, well, Finn, again, Finn, my manager, he told me. Yeah. He's like, hey, Pierre wants to talk to you. He gave me his number, and then he called me. He's like, I love your album, man. We got we to gotta work together. And then I went to his house, and he had an old Simple Plan song called weirdo and it was like a pop punk kind of version yeah. of it it was like hey i don't care if you're a weirdo that kind of you know mm-hmm. what his band is pop punk and so i took it home he kind of he thought it'd be cool to make it kind of a instead of a major you put it in the minor key a oh, minor man. make it sad yeah exactly and and then i we kind of i went home i wrote the bridge for it and it kind of became what it is today weirdo you know yeah, well, <clears throat> it is, I mean, it feels very personal. Yeah, I mean, I didn't write it, <laughs> to be honest. I. But you made it your own. I, I, really. I, feel, I like to think I made it my own a little yeah. bit and put my kind of flair on it. But a lot of it was Pierre, a guy named Nick Bailey, who I've never met, but I'd like to meet him. He's one of Pierre's writing partners. And uh, Chuck, the drummer of Simple Plan. Yeah. They all wrote it together, I guess. And um, I don't know why they didn't want to use it. I mean, it's a great song. Yeah, really. And Especially uh, for, what are you, like 17 years old? I'm 18 now, but I was. Oh, right, 18. I was, actually, I was 16 when we recorded it. And Finn is still, he's like two, three years younger. Yeah, he's 15. 15. Wow, you got a cohort. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. yeah. So what uh, was your, like, creative process like? I mean, first, let's wind uh, the clock back to, like, March of 2020 and everything's starting to fall apart. Yeah. The dread just the fingers of dread stretching into everyone's lives. What was that like for you? You know, I think uh, I wasn't as worried as everybody else because I knew, I mean, I know how lucky I am to, you know, I live like in Ohio. It's a great place to live during a pandemic. You know, we got 
green fields and river bottoms and stuff to do, you know. Yeah. And I live by the golf course, so I could go golf. And, you know, I had it. I mean, I can't imagine people in, like, New York City during that time or people <clears> in a crowded place. But luckily here, I wasn't as worried. I mean, I was worried because I didn't know what was going to happen. There was an uncertainty yeah. in the world. But I, for the most part, I was just, you know, I was kind of happy because I didn't have to go to school. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. That would have been the best part for yeah, me. It was definitely the best part for me. I didn't. And I, I mean... I pretty much cheated my whole way through sophomore what? year. Yeah. I mean, what? I just, <laughs> hey, what? Oh, that's a technical issue here. Well, we'll be right back. <laughs> so what, uh, you know, the just trying to find your way into being creative, because I just felt dread mm-hmm. and trying to just keep things chugging along. <clears throat> I did not feel inspired in any way to write or create, but, but you did. Did you find yourself already there, or did you make yourself do it or what was the discipline of it you know i don't i never even thought about it i just wrote songs and really what made i think i think i work better with a person i like having a person there to yeah bounce off off ideas and stuff but um yeah i i I don't know i just i really uh, pierre's such a good guy to work with too he's really easy we um i i I have a pretty extensive knowledge of like older music and he kind of loves, he loves pop music really. And like, he's so good at writing pop licks and hooks and stuff. And I kind of, I'm more of a lyricist, I feel. Yeah. And and he would kind of, you know, he'd structure the songs. (laughs) Well, I don't know about that, but, um, (laughs) but, um, yeah, I, I really, I think that us, I, I don't think I would have been able to do it if it weren't for him to be there because, because, you know, I think, I think, I think they're always, I think in songwriting, there should be like, think about Lennon and McCartney. Like, you know, they had, they had each other to bounce ideas and tell each other what was crap and what was great. And a rivalry too. Exactly. Well, I don't know if me and Pierre had a rivalry per se, but I feel. Not yet. Yeah, not yet. But I feel like we, um, we definitely work together and we definitely have similar senses of humor. And yeah. yeah, we just had a great. I mean, I honestly had a great time. I was there every other day, yeah. Just in his little studio. I mean, the studio is not even half the size of this room. It's tiny. Yeah, well, that's you can contain the sound better. Yeah, and the the fact that he got. I mean, he produced all of it too. I mean, that is kind of like I don't know if it was his passion project, but it was kind of his first producing project. Hmm. And I know he'd produced a couple songs before, but not like a full yeah thing. And. Um, yeah, he just, he killed it. I think this, it sounds amazing. Everybody who hears it's like, wow, who produced this? And it's yeah, great. it's got a great, or well, the arrangement's nice. But oh, thank you. It's uh, just, if you'd been doing it for 30 years, I, w- I wouldn't know. <laughs> I mean, it's really polished. <laughs> yeah, thank Not you. Not too polished. I mean, you can hear some of the, you know, the rawness of it, which feels very authentic. Yeah, I think I think it's a... I think it's a good display of both of our talents, you know? Yeah. I think it showcases my voice really well, and I think it showcases Pierre's songwriting and ability really well. Now, you're only 18, but you've been singing for 13 years or something. I remember you as a tiny (laughs) boy on stage at Libby Bowl (laughs) singing... uh, Elvis Presley song. You, yeah. you were rocking it, man. You didn't <laughs> leave anything anything out out there. You were in it. Yeah, I uh you remember that? I do. I do. Um I didn't know the words to the song and, <laughs> and so I just kind of went up there and was like <laughs> kind of like that. <laughs> but I was confident for sure and yeah. you know uh ever since I was 2 I started singing. Really? Wow. Yeah. And I remember so vividly that um, I was watching American Idol and the we were sitting in our living room and me and my mom were in there. And I remember an Elvis impersonator came on American Idol. And um, we, I guess we, I, I had asked my mom, who's Elvis? What is Elvis? And she kind of told me, oh, well, he's the king of rock and roll, you know, the whole spiel. And I go, I looked, I was two years old and I looked at her right in the eye and I said, it's a good thing Elvis is dead because they call me the king. <laughs> <laughs> the king is dead. Long live the king. I know. <laughs> yeah, but that's what a two-year-old me was thinking at that yeah. time. And how's the 18-year-old you thinking? Uh, 
not much. No, <laughs> um, no, you know, I'm I'm pretty happy right now. Got a yeah. girlfriend, and we're just cruising along. Girlfriends will make you happy. Yeah, and miserable. And miserable at the same at time. At the same time, yeah. it's the fullness of life. <laughs> Experience it through a relationship. Yeah. most definitely. Yeah. So, um, how did the whole Dave Mason tour idea come up, and the discussions around that? And uh, yeah, did you feel ready? Was there any moments of hesitation? Like, wow, this is big. Uh, I'm born ready. You know, no. you ready? Um, I'm. No, there's no such thing as irony, Becca. You know that. <laughs> I know. No, I I feel yeah, I feel very confident. I mean, I've played probably over 300 shows at the Vine. Hello. Oh, yeah. Since I want to definitely since, talk deep about that. Yeah. We'll stick a pin in that conversation. Yeah. But I've yeah. been playing there since I was 12 years old or even 11. And maybe On Mondays. Even 10, Monday nights. And, you know, I've, I've kind of built up my chops. COVID didn't help. But, yeah. you know, I feel, I mean, actually I'm playing there May 16th, too. This uh, n- next, or this and you're May. playing this repertoire that you're taking on tour. Uh, these eight songs. A version of it. The yeah. the Dave Mason shows. I'm going to be alone, just me it's and a just guitar, you. just it, going full Jake Bug. Yeah, Ed Sheeran kind of. Yeah, you definitely got the Ed Sheeran vibe. Yeah, you're much more handsome than him now. You'll probably <laughs> bump you. him off the charts. <laughs> yeah, um, and then at the Vine, I'm going to bring a band. Oh yeah, and, yeah. Are these your buddies that you grew up with? No, they're just. Uh, well, they're my buddies for sure, but they're yeah. they're musicians, um, really great musicians. Uh, Jack Ryan Sullivan, he works down at Norman's Rare Guitars. He's a he's a bitchin' guitar player. I think I've heard that name. Yeah, yeah, he's a he's a great guitar player. And then my buddy Jackson Morris, he's a drummer. His mm-hmm. dad's the lead singer, Scotty Morris from Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. No way. Yeah, he's. I a, know Carl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Carl lives here, but um, he he's a he's a killer drummer he's a really yeah. great yeah he's a really good drummer well drummers and guitar players often have issues because guitar players are tend to wander and it, the drummer's got to be cracking the whip yeah literally cracking the whip yeah, to keep them well i think it's uh it's much well actually i shouldn't say that because i play guitar and sing but i mainly sing but i also i kind of have to play guitar i'm i feel forced to play guitar because i i i haven't ever had a band yeah. So I, when I was like, I don't even know how old, 13, 12, 13, I was like, man, I need to learn how to play guitar. Yeah. So uh, I was in Japan. I was in Tokyo. My dad was shooting a show, and we were there for three weeks. And I had like two two months before, I bought a guitar, a crappy little Ibanez guitar mm-hmm. in Guitar Center in New York, which was kind of a cool story. I bought it in New it York. Is it a full size or three quarter? It's or? a full size, yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a, <laughs> it's like a plasticky wood material. It's a black. Yeah. I just liked it because it was black. Yeah. And um, my dad bought it for me, and you know it was kind of cool. We bought it on uh, on uh, what's it called uh, at Fifth Avenue? No, not Fifth Avenue. What's Times Square? We bought it on Times Square at the Guitar Center, and um, yeah, it was cool. So it meant something to me. So anyway, I brought it. To, to, uh, to Tokyo, just thinking, yeah, maybe I'll learn a couple chords. And then I ended up, because I didn't really have anything to do there. I mean, I loved it. I did things, but... Well, not having anything to do is often the greatest gift you can give yourself. Yeah, I mean, I was locked in a room for three weeks, basically, while my dad was filming, because I don't... I would, I didn't want to go to the set. I was kind of, yeah. you know... And so I I learned uh, I learned blue suede shoes, A, D, and E. It's the three chords. That's all and you that's, need. Well, chords. yeah. Three chords and the truth. Yep, that's, that's a, you too. Yep, yeah. Three chords and the truth. So, the guitar playing. I mean, have you taken a shine to it, or you sound a little reluctant, like it's an, a necessity rather than a passion? Uh, uh, it is a passion for sure. I'm a yeah. crazy. I love collecting guitars. I love guitar. They're like actually all I. Th- I mean, I don't all I think about, but. Yeah. In term, yeah, I, I, like I see a guitar, and I'm like, ooh, I want to play that. You know. Well, you're welcome to. It shouldn't be too badly out of tune. The last person to play it was Paul from Peter, Paul, and Mary. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. like just last week. Cool. Yeah, so um, that's a cheap guitar, but it's yeah, got it's a, a good tone. I had a Cordoba. Did I? Yeah, I had a Cordoba, actually. Yeah, I had a, a buddy gave me a Ramirez 4E's classical guitar player, <clears throat> which is a very beautiful guitar. Mm-hmm. And then, it's a long story, but he ended up swapping it out for something else. He gave me an electric guitar, which I don't play. 
because I'm a finger picker yeah. and it tears up my hands. I yeah. tried. I just can't learn a pick. Yeah. So I don't play that. And he took back the Ramirez 4E, which I would have played. It was the most round tone of any instrument I've ever heard. Yeah. It sounds like an orchestra almost. I love I really love the tone of classical guitars. I play like electric, and I do play acoustic. I'll yeah. be for the Dave Mason shows. I'll definitely be acoustic because, you know, Beckett unplugged. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I love. I love. It's such a harpy kind of tone. The classical guitars. Like I, if I go on a trip somewhere, I actually, I, I, I have this guitar. That my I don't say it's my first guitar because I never played it. Yeah. And I only recently started playing it, but I guess it is technically my first guitar. It was a little, like, $90 classical guitar my mom bought me mm. when I was six. Because I wanted to start to learn, but I was six, so I had the attention span of yeah. a goldfish. Now I like to think I have a attention span of, a, like, a... Of a uh, koi, carp. A carp. A ko- yeah. Koi. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, anyway... Yeah. yeah, so how did the tour come together again? What oh, yeah, sorry. Early um, conversation, because I know your father's friends with Dave Mason. They've yeah, been each other for buddies. a long time. Yeah, we have. And I remember um, going up and seeing him when he lived here and going to his house, and I had no idea who he was. But I was a incredible, like, massive, the biggest, still am, but the biggest Elvis fan. It's yeah. Why I started was Elvis, for sure. But um, Elvis. He, he had a studio up there and uh, he goes the Carl Perkins version of Blue Suede Shoes is miles better and I was like eight years old and I was like no way you're crazy <laughs> you're arguing with yeah, Dave Mason arguing about which version is better but um, the show came about yeah I think um, I think he actually really loved uh, Pale Blue Eyes the song oh that song well we'll talk about that yeah that, that is now you did you did that here in town at the Underground Exchange or something I yeah we shot there. the video there yeah, no, 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 Bernie? not the underground. It was uh, the 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 arts center. I don't know the names of anything. The arts, the thing, the by one right across the street here on Montgomery Street. Yeah, the across Ohio from Walters. Yes, from the pet store. yeah, the we shot center. it there. Oh, okay. Yeah, but it's it had a very Bernie Larson feel to it. Bernie's a friend. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He does a lot of that. I'm yeah. sure you know Bernie. Yeah, I do. I played at the arts exchange, but yeah. it, but when it was over by the other place. Um, yeah, out on Del Norte. Yeah, out by the Bonds. Yeah, I loved that venue actually. Yeah, um, me too. It was a great. It's a great spot. I, I haven't been to the new one, but um, the new one is great too. It's yeah. even more like black box theater feeling, like. Mm. Very intimate. Yeah. You're kind of sitting up on stage. I saw Isaac Corrin and Michael Jurgensen. They have a, they do like old classics. I mean, like rock and roll classics and their own material. They call themselves Expandards. Mm, that's and cool. that's like the thing about Ojai is you, it's 7,500 people and there's like this massive tipping point or critical mass of talent here. Like yeah. you're just talking about, you're getting. People in, you know, world-class touring bands and rock and roll Hall of Famers that yeah, yeah you're working with. And well, you're 18 years old. This I is know. just phenomenal. I mean, I, it, it doesn't it doesn't really feel real to me because one of my great buddies is uh, Mike uh, Dirt from Green Day. Oh, and he kind really? of and he kind of you go down to his house on uh, Faria Beach. Or? <laughs> yeah, but he kind of he kind of. Um, Really, really, he's, I mean, in a way, my mentor, kind of, in a, he kind of set up my whole recording situation for my, for the album I gave Pierre. He completely yeah. kind of, I almost, I mean, he really deserves a producing credit on that album because he, he, the, his guy, uh, his assistant was Denny and he set me up with him and he recorded it. With and, all your gear and everything? No, we ran, we went to Carbonite Sound to record and we actually went to the village in Car- LA. Carbonite, that's uh, Jason? Yeah. All right. Yeah. No, um, Jason Mariani. Mariano. I think, yeah. Something like Ooh, that. I'm never going to be allowed <laughs> oh, back no. right now. I'm terrible with names. Sorry, <laughs> Jason. Yeah, I think. You deserve I'm... better than that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll redeem myself. It is a world-class studio. It's incredible. Yeah. I love hanging out there. It's amazing. And uh, every time I go there, it's kind of fun. I try. I really, really tried really hard to buy... He's got this like 1966 Jazzmaster in there that oh, yeah. I just like. It's it's actually before I bought my Jazzmaster. It's the reason I bought my Jazzmaster. Yeah. I have a 1965 Fender Jazzmaster 
But that thing, I mean, we recorded with it. It rips, and it's just a, it's dope. And it's, <laughs> yeah. it's really cool guitar. Yeah. So on uh, the sound cycle, your eight songs. Well, one, um, just artistically, did anything tie them together, like time and space and theme and anything? Was it just it was just a random assortment that floated through the ether? Yeah, it kind of. We kind of just wrote songs, and I mean, the only ones that were already written, kind of, were uh, which nobody know nobody knows the name, so I'm just gonna say it's a song called oh, Olivia. Uh, there's a song called uh, Well Weirdo was or pre-written, yeah. and I think, and that's all blowing up, right? I mean, it's I mean it's blowing up. It's got 150 or 160 thousand streams on Spotify. Well, which, just imagine that's a that's how many minutes of attention you're getting for something that you're just starting to do. Yeah, and I mean, this it's, is the attention it's crazy economy. to it's think a big about. Deal. I mean, in terms of money, it's like a, a dollar. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But Spotify, no, probably something like it's that. Like, yeah. yeah, it's terrible, terrible. But, um, it, you know, it's it's doing good. It got on a couple playlists on Spotify, which really bump it. Pebble Eyes isn't doing as great, but, you know, it hasn't got that playlist attention yet. Yeah. And um, it's got like two or 3,000 streams. But but once people find one, they'll find the others. And then yeah, it's uh, hard work building up a fan base. But once yeah. you do, have you, have you heard that? I think when Lucy Bellwood was on a podcast, she was telling me about that famous blog post from like 2000-something, the thousand fan theory. Yeah. That if you have a thousand fans, you can make a, a living as an artist. Yeah. If they're willing to pay you like a hundred, you know, whatever that is, $10 a month or something. It's true. I mean, it's yeah, true. That's the, is that your model or what, what are you hoping for? Would you rather have a deeply dedicated fan base that will buy and listen to everything that comes out or do you want to be like Elvis like a cultural phenomenon I mean ever since I was a kid I've wanted to play stadiums and yeah. go on tour and you know can you hear the roar of the crowd as you I mean actually I do dream about it I do have dreams like about me playing a stadium wow. rocking it but I I definitely I think both are great, and I think one comes with the other. I think that if you're yeah. going to have a, a fan base of millions of people, I think at least a thousand of them will listen to all your songs. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I I think, um, I don't know. I, I would be grateful for either, to be honest. Yeah. Well, there's room for both, of course, but, you know, like Bob Dylan's never had a number one single. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean... To be fair to him, he kind of came out during the time of the Beatles, so. Well, he was come even before. Yeah, a little bit before, but yeah. he his main hits or his his biggest songs probably came out during the '60s, maybe a little bit in the '70s. I, mean, I yeah. think he did. He have a hit in the '80s? I don't know. Well, he did the uh, sort of what you know, quote mark Christian album. Yeah, is and that got to serve somebody. Yeah, yeah. That's, That's a good some song. good songs. Yeah. yeah. Gotta serve somebody. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. also, God gave names to all the animals. Yeah. That's really wonderful songs. Yeah. I love, um, one of my favorite Bob Dylan albums is uh, Oh Mercy. I love that album. That was like the early 90s? No, I think it's 70s. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, there was a couple of really awesome albums in the 90s that kind of slipped underneath the radar, but... Yeah. <clears throat> you know, I'm, I'm Sick of Love, which yeah. is a great song. It's like... If anybody asks me for an example of like artistic irony, I point to that because yeah. the more he complains about being sick of love, the more you can tell he's craving it. <laughs> you know? He, um, I love Bob Dylan. I mean, I my favorite. I have to say, one of my top ten favorite albums of all time is the Free Will and Bob Dylan. Oh yeah. I mean, there's not a bad song on that album, but um, he definitely. He, I love it because he just changes his voice kind of through the albums. Like uh -huh. that. That what's the one. Uh, What's the one with, with Lay Lady Lay on it? I can't remember the name. Nashville was, Sky or, or something? No, that's no. Blood on the Tracks. Yeah, that, no, Blood on the Tracks. No, that was later. Is, yeah, but like anyway, he's like, Lay Lady Lay, kind of weird, kind of. Yeah. And then like, you know, and then he's got the classic Bob Dylan voice, and then he's got like a, and then he said, I'll give you a sound from the storm. Yeah. Kind of like that. You know? Wow, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> and then even on Oh Mercy, he's like, uh, uh, what's that song? Uh most of the time. 
I can move my feet on the ground. <laughs> well, he's a t- old-fashioned troubadour. Yeah, he's great. I love Bob Dylan. And he's still on the road like 200 days a year or something. Yeah, I heard he's awful. I heard he's <clears throat> just, oh, yeah, he forgets the lyrics awful. and stuff. Yeah. He's done I mean, that for a long you time. Know, why not scout, get your paycheck, right? At that point. Yeah. Well, exactly. I think with him, it's like that's his life. He yeah. is a troubadour. He's going to be on tour. But, you know, he did that Frank Sinatra album, oh. which I don't know if you've heard it. No. He's so tuneless. It's just oh, yeah. croaking. He can't sing. What did Jimi Hendrix say? He said, if uh, Bob Dylan can sing, then anybody can sing. That's what Jimi yeah. Hendrix said. Well, yeah, yeah, nobody can write lyrics like Bob Dylan. You can no. get away with a lot if you no. can turn a phrase. Yeah. Yeah. There's a great yeah, photo I, mean, I saw of Bob Dylan, or somebody... It was like a Civil War photo of a like a regiment at rest underneath a tree, and they're posing for the photo. Mm-hmm. Bob Dylan, right in the middle, unmistakable. Mm-hmm. And it was like the essay or whatever that accompanied it. Of course, it was just somebody that looked like Bob Dylan mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah. But the essay was like Bob Dylan through the years. He's like the lonesome traveler, the yeah. wandering Jew. He just shows up. <laughs> Throughout history and yeah, all these yeah. places. Yeah, I mean, it would make sense, wouldn't it? It would, because he sounds like he's yeah. ancient. Yeah, he does. Yeah. He's incredible. I mean, you can't, there's nobody to compare him to lyrics-wise, you know? No. I mean, he's a poet. I mean, it's really, he's a poet who sings. He's not a singer who's yeah. a poet. Yeah, that's know? why he won the Nobel Prize in Literature. Yeah, 100%. I actually did a report in eighth grade. We had to do poets, and I picked Bob Dylan. Yeah. And I argued. I mean, my, my teacher actually said, uh, yeah, I mean, that's fair. He won the poetry prize. Why can't you do it? So I said, yeah. well, then I'm going to do it. And then I sang uh, my favorite Bob Dylan song, Don't Think Twice, It's All Right. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, it was a, I, I, that's my favorite. I mean, there's so many good ones, but Don't Think Twice, It's All Right, really, kind of. That's my childhood. Sums it up. Yeah, you know. yeah. There's only a few people who you can say are like innovators of like lyrics wise. Like I think it could be John Lennon. I think you could say Paul McCartney, mm-hmm. Paul Simon. You could say, I think you could say um, Bob Dylan and maybe David Bowie. I mean, I don't know. And, yeah, David Bowie certainly. David yeah. Bowie, you know, was informed. Now this is like. I'm not in the music world, but some of the moments that I remember most are like fifth grade music class, Mr. Webb. Mm-hmm. And I think I had him in seventh grade, too. And he was talking about Jacques Brel and how, you know, these these uh, French uh, singers were would do these wonderful stories. And he's just telling them that. And then it was like, um, you know, uh, God, what's the name of that? song they made an american version but anyway jacques brel troubadour as well beautiful lyrics they're in french i don't know what it means but it sounds great <laughs> yeah but he uh <clears throat> you know i listened into david bowie like just a few years later like i went through my bowie phase mm-hmm. from like uh ninth through 11th grade <laughs> yeah. still am into bowie yeah. phase but i go oh my god that's got a real jacques brel sound to it when yeah he just plays like spider from mars or some of these other songs yeah and by golly there was something not long before he died. He was talking about his influence. He said, yeah, I wanted to be Jacques Brel. That was who I wanted to be. I go, oh, my goodness. Thanks, Mr. Webb. I remember that conversation so well. He's, yeah, Bowie is, um, I mean, he's, he's, there's nobody like him. And I think that's what makes him so, I mean, he's so unique in such a cool way and like such a rock and roll, but kind of, I don't know. It's like almost, it's like, I want to say it's like punk, but it's not punk. I want to, you know, there's so many things you can say about it, but you want to hear the most enraging story I've ever heard in my life. Really? About David Bowie. My, he, he was obsessed with Clockwork Orange. Obsessed. He dressed up as my Me dad. Me too. <laughs> he dressed up as my dad, Alex, in a Clockwork Orange, and he invited my dad to go see his last show as him, put, uh, as Alex, on stage in London in 1972 or three and my dad said no really yeah and why was it a conflict in schedules or he just that's what he says but i'm sure he's just lazy and he didn't go but (laughs) (laughs) i don't know all right you said it back enough i mean it's uh that one bothered me a little bit that he wouldn't go i mean it's like there's only so much so many 
experiences like that in life, you know? Yeah, well, it's good that you recognize that because yeah. as I get older, I realize it's really the only treasures that you can accumulate. Yeah. Everything else comes and goes, but memories yeah. are really the gleaming jewels of your life. Yep. Yeah. So we still haven't figured out the touring situation I'm with sorry. Dave Mason. No, we get there. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah, well, um, yeah, I think... Our, we have the same managers. He actually got me my managers, uh, Shelter Music Group, who are, are great. They do like Fleetwood Mac and wow. ZZ Top and uh, the Hollywood Vampires, which is Johnny Depp's band, who's yeah. in court right now. But um, <laughs> poor Johnny, I know. Uh, but um, yeah, he 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 sent them my EP, which we were struggling for a while, kinda. Uh, we did enough representation. And we we need we needed it. We needed somebody to help out, and we just sent it to Dave. And he was like, "Wow, let me send this to my managers." And then, like, within the next week or not even, um, they flew out. They came here. They, and they flew out. Uh, yeah, I think they or they drove up or they flew out. They got in a canoe. They pat. I don't know what they did. Yeah, they, but they, they made their way to. They Ohio. made their way to Ojai, and you know that kind of meant something. You know, nobody else really did that. So yeah. We we went with them and they're really great people. We love them and um, yeah. So they, I think, um, I don't really actually know how I got the gig. Um, I think they kind of set it up. I believe with um, you know because we're the same managers. And I think what put it in my Dave's head was uh, my mom actually texted him just to see how he was. Yeah. And I think that kind of sparked his memory. And he was, because, you know, being on tour is kind of grueling sometimes. Is, I think for sure. somebody especially, you know, who's done it a million times. A road warrior. Yeah. And I think that, you know, you just, you're focused on one thing. But I think my mom texting him kind of sparked a you know, reminder that I had a song coming out. And he was like, oh, why don't you come play these shows? And so I was like, yeah, of course I'll come play, you know. And so, yeah, I love it. So. Yeah. That's how it kind of came to and be. And when when are you hitting the road? Because I'll I'll, t I'll try to time this. Yeah, um, I'm playing. I'm only, it's actually only three shows, but I think maybe there's more to come. I don't yeah. know. The dates haven't been uh, set up yet. But um, the three that are confirmed are uh, May eighth at the Ventura Music Hall. Oh yeah. Yeah, and uh, that show starts at eight, I believe. And then um, we're playing. May 19th at uh, Carmel, in Carmel. I don't know the name of the theater. And then, which is probably bad. I should... <laughs> but, um, They'll all blur into yeah, one eventually. Carmel. And then on the May 20th, I'm playing uh, Petaluma Beach. They're both up north. Yeah. <clears throat> They're kind of like a little, just a, a little circuit. tour, just a little yeah. circuit tour. But, you know, it's better than nothing, right? Well, I mean, this is big. Yeah, Dave it's Mason huge. has got, you know, he's like the architect of the British invasion. Yeah, he's a. I mean, you know, he told. I mean, he tells a story that he told Jimi Hendrix to play all along the Watchtower, another Bob Dylan song. Yeah, he told him to play, and he actually plays acoustic guitar in the in the track in the actual recording of it. <clears throat> really? Yeah, of Dave Jimi Hendrix's version. Dave Mason is playing acoustic guitar. I'm gonna mm -hmm. have to listen to that. It's just rhythm, but you know, I think Dave was the one who kind of suggested it to him. Yeah, that's a story. He I seems heard. like the. Connector, you know how some people know everybody, yeah, and different groups of people, and then they make connections and ideas flow back and forth, and the yeah. synergy that takes place. He seems like that kind of a guy to me. Yeah, he's a great guy. He's a great, great guy. You know, he's so nice and so kind to me. And you know, yeah, he <laughs> the other day he kind of he was uh, he was in Ohio for a little bit. Just uh, he so he got he was getting over a cold or something and. <clears throat> He uh, he he's like, hey Becky, you want to come to the tour bus? And I was like, yeah, sure. I thought the band was there, and uh, I was like, yeah, of course I'll come. And, and I came, and he was parked outside that uh, <laughs> the abandoned bowling bowling, bowling oh, yeah, sure. alley, and it was just him and his little dog that's about you know the size of my hand, <laughs> uh -huh. and it, and uh, or my arm, sorry. And uh, <laughs> we just stood in there. We talked about guitars and like hung out for like two hours and just was just. You know, hanging, just talking. You know, I think he's he's just a really normal guy and such a nice, generous dude. So and he's probably happy to have a protege, somebody <laughs> that he can take credit for when you blow up. It'd be like 
the, his next version of All Along the Watchtower. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just at the at the shows. I think we're going to play together when during. He's going to bring you on set. Yeah, I think so. So I don't know what song we might play. Watchtower. I don't know. Oh man, so, I'm going to have to check that out. May eighth, yeah. eight o'clock, Ventura Theater. Yep, I, the doors open at seven. I know that. And yeah. Ventura, it's not Ventura your, Theater, it's Ventura Music Hall. It's a different... Ventura Music Hall, it, yeah. To, it, where the Ventura Discovery was, you remember that bowling alley thing? I do, yeah. Yeah, that, that kind of It's on Main Street, but just a little further yeah, east or whatever Is it on is. Thompson or Main? I don't know. I don't know yeah. any of the street names, to We'll post it up in the yeah. notes. Yeah, but uh, he he uh, he was... Yeah, um, it's like, I th- I've never been there to the theater, but I, I went to the Discovery and it was a cool room, so... Yeah. I think it seats like... It's probably the same as the Lobby Bowl. Oh, really? That's yeah. like a thousand people. Yeah, maybe a little more. I don't know. Maybe five hundred. I don't know how yeah. many people. But, but a lot. Yeah, you know, a good amount. I, my one of my fondest memories was uh, I opened up for Eric Burden in the Animals. Oh yeah. And uh, he, I it was the last second. I was like, hey, Eric, do you need a do you need an opener? It was I was actually in L.A. Uh, he was playing at the Thousand Oak Civic Auditorium, which is like a a big hall, you know, two or three thousand, maybe four, and um, it was a sold out show, and nobody knew there was an opener, and it was kind of last second. I just happened to be in L.A. at the guitar store, Norman's Rare Guitars. Yeah, and um, a shirt. Yeah, and uh, he. He was like, oh, yeah, okay, well, come on. Yeah, he's Newcastle Geordie, so he was like, well, yeah, come play the show, you know. And so... Uh, Jesus, you're a good mimic. You've got, <laughs> got that down. I got a great Eric Burden story, I'll tell you in a second. But um, he, uh, <laughs> he, he, yeah, he was just like, yeah, come play. And so I was like, great. And I didn't really have a guitar, and so I bought a guitar. Just for that. Just from for Norman's that. Rare just Guitars. from Norman's Rare Guitars. We kind of just bought this guitar just so I could go play. It's like a nice little Gibson, and uh, I played it, and f- like four thousand people sold out. Nobody knew I was going on, so it was sold out, and yeah. everybody was in their seats. And Did I, anybody I, ask for their money? Back? Yeah, no. I no. walked out, and I could hear people go like, "What? What is this?" And and uh, and I go, "Don't worry, Eric Burden is in the back. He's going to play. I'm just here for a little bit, yeah. just to sing a song or two." And they. And I, I, I like to think I won over the crowd. They really, yeah. they really, I, a couple of them stood up and they, they really liked it. And did you actually, feel the energy? I did. I loved it. I loved every second of it. You know, I feel like on stage, I, I'm a different kind of. I leave my body for a second, yeah. and I become a different entity, if you will. I think that's not uncommon. Yeah. I think there's something transformative about the electricity running through a crowd and yeah and you feed off it and that feeds off of you and it's like its own entity yeah i mean i absolutely love playing in front of people it's my yeah. favorite thing in the world besides my girlfriend lana <laughs> make sure we get that <laughs> yeah lana, sure. yes, lana. uh but it's it's my favorite thing in the world it doesn't matter if i'm playing in front of five people 500 people i i will play if you, somebody asks me to play i will play like i'll play for you right now if you want but i would love that <laughs> yeah i'll play um yeah, I just I love it. It's kind of what I do, you know. It's yeah. It's all I know. I feel it's well. You talked about five people. That would be a good intro for the Monday night uh, yeah. open mic. Yeah, the Monday. I'm actually May sixteenth is a. I got them to do me for a Sunday, which oh. is unheard of for uh with <laughs> Sa- Sam and Amber. Yeah, I love Sam and Amber. Actually, Samber, we call them Samber. Samber. I've known Sam. Since I was, he worked at the Ojai Valley Inn, and um, yeah. I've known him since I was probably eight. So for three or four years now. Yeah, sure, no. like <laughs> a couple of years. Uh, no, but he, um, it's already 10 years, that's weird. But um, yeah, he, I used to always sit and talk to him at the bar, because yeah. I used to sit up at the bar, well, you, you, which I'm pretty sure is illegal. just run wild around the inn, you're yeah. like the uh, resident scamps. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We, I like to think we own the place, no, I'm kidding. Yeah. But yeah. Um, no, we yeah, I've, I, we used to talk all the time. He got moved up to a different place that I don't go as much. But every time I see him, we talk and yeah, have a good. Uh, He's got laugh. a nice jam going on over. He's here got a great thing going. Yeah. He actually really made the bar way nicer, I think. Yeah, and I think once they get, I mean, the only problem with the vine right now is the sound is kind of bad in there. Yeah, the acoustics aren't great. I, but what I've, is that? Do they need to hang some panels? Or yeah, what? they need to hang some panels, which they've been doing, and I think uh, their plans are to make it soundproof it, make it yeah, great. make it a great live music venue. Yeah, the problem is, you know, it's kind of like a little, it's tiny, for one, 
So sound is just like it just explodes kind of in there. Yeah. And like it, you, it's hard to have a band in there. I mean, you're fine. It's it's totally fine if you're a solo acoustic, mm-hmm. or even just an acoustic band. But for what I like to do, it's a little uh, more difficult. But you know, we once it just takes more time to get the right sound, and once you get it, you're golden. You know, and it also depends on how many people are there because it's oh, way yeah. louder if there are less people in there. Yeah. That I've learned. And, you know, I mean, I've sold out the Vine a bunch of times, and it's it's a great venue when it's sold out. You know, I've also been there when there's one person, and that one person's my mom. <laughs> she was I, checking her phone yeah, the whole maybe, time. <laughs> and, uh, but, yeah, I usually, I keep a crowd, I think. I like to keep it half full or full yeah. at all times. I mean, I don't, yeah, we don't mess around. <laughs> yeah. But, oh, I got to tell you this Eric Burden story. Of course. We evacuated with him during the thomas fire yeah <laughs> and um he goes uh we were he's got awful asthma awful awful asthma and um he can so we had to get him out of there so we me uh, my dad eric a bunch of us like a bunch of oha people that were just friends kind of went to santa barbara the fr- like the first couple days mm-hmm. and uh we were there and the fire it was like at a moment where the fire kind of stopped in ojai but it was coming to Santa Barbara. Oh, yeah, I remember that well. Yeah. First we had to evacuate to Montecito, and then we evacuated in a bunch of us, you know. Yeah. It was kind of like a party, like a roving party. Yeah, I mean, it was... And then we had to come back to Ojai. Yeah, I mean, it was honestly kind of fun. I thought it was a vacation. Yeah. I mean, I was I was terrified because I thought I was going to lose my house, but... Yeah. Uh, yeah, but it was me, uh, you know, just a kind of crew, and Eric was with us, and he had this... His wife, Mariana, had this huge... She has this tortoise, this giant desert tortoise. Oh, man. And uh, so we were just... It was just, just the, kind of the funniest little crew of people, and there's this big tortoise and all these dogs and stuff, and, um, <laughs> and uh, we... I was with, you know, Russell, Dr. Oh, Russell Kuhn. Oh, yes, Kuhn. Russell yeah. Kuhn. He's, he used yeah. to live in my old house. Did he? Yeah. yeah. He's a, he's a, he's our, one of our best friends, uh, if not our best friend, but I wouldn't tell him that, so don't tell no. him. No. Um, well, I'll make sure he doesn't listen to this yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll you should have him on the podcast. He's a fun guy. He, he oh, would, he is. Yeah. He's, he was, did open mics, and yeah. uh, what was the name of the band that got their start there? Soul Sister Train. Oh yeah, Train. Yeah, he that claims he claims his claim to fame is that he was a part of Train, and he's like the fifth Beatle. The fifth yeah, train. I'm like okay, Russell, go. Yeah, okay. Anyway, but, <laughs> he can but, shred though. He can he can play guitar. Yeah, he's pretty good. He's yeah. great. You know, he's got a good voice. He's got a very manly kind of voice. Uh, but anyway, so we were with him in uh, Santa Barbara. We were at the El Encanto that hotel. Oh yeah. And uh, Eric goes. We were sitting there. It was me, Russell, and Eric, and uh, he goes, uh, "Oh well, you know, um, oh well, the I, I got the asthma, you know, and I can't smell the smoke, so I think I'm just gonna go back to Ohio because it can't affect me if I can't smell it." <laughs> and we're like, we kind of look at each other. We're like, "That's that's not how that works." <laughs> and we're like, uh, "Eric, logic. I don't think I don't think that's a, a good idea." But we were just dying. He's you know, Eric's one of our great friends, and he's he's just a great human being yeah Yeah. well his voice seems to get richer i mean it's always been amazing but the best what is he like 80 years old now he's getting up there maybe i think he's no yeah he is 80 because i went to his 80th birthday he's probably 81 or two now maybe Uh, i feel bad voice i feel bad what a a career i mean he sounds great he sounds the same if not better and he's got arguably top five greatest rock and roll voices in the world. I mean, in I history. I think that's safe to say. And he, and he predated the Beatles, too. House of the Rising Sun came out before, I think it came out just a little bit before Please Please Me. And, you wow, know, like 62 or 63. Yeah, 62, 63. I know Please Please Me came out in 63. But um, he, I mean, it's kind of like he, and he loathes House of the Rising Sun. He hates it because he got screwed on it. He oh, got really? Alan, this guy place. named Alan Price, when they were recording, you know, they were kids when they recorded it. I know Alan Price. He yeah. was the band that played in one of your dad's movies. Yeah, he played He played the Oh, Lucky Man soundtrack. Oh, Lucky he, Man, he, he, yeah. That was weird how they, it was like a Greek chorus. They yeah. go back and forth from yeah. Alan Price. That was a fun movie. Yeah, I've never seen it. I've actually barely ever seen any of my dad's movies, to be yeah. honest. I've never seen, never seen Clockwork, never seen any of them. I, I just know a lot about them. Clockwork Orange. I just know a lot about them because, you know, I go to all the 
all the know, events, all the events yeah. and crap, and all the stories. But Wait a minute, and all the crap. <laughs> you want to rethink that? Well, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, a lot of it's crap. Let's be honest. Yeah. But um, no, it's fun. Uh, some of my greatest memories are in Paris with my dad and his best friend Mike Kaplan, who did yeah. the poster for Clockwork. He curated the poster for uh, 2001 Clockwork. All the great Stanley Kubrick movies. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. I mean, I live a crazy life, and I yeah, you I, really were in, in a kind of plopped right in the middle of all yeah, this. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, that gives you a context that your peers probably can't even really seems unreal to them. I'll bet. Yeah, I mean, I just don't talk about it because it's kind of, you know, I, it comes off. I, I, I don't want it to come off as like braggy because yeah. I, I I'm not bragging. It's just, you know, I just so I just don't talk about it, you know. Yeah. But you seem to have a really, uh, I don't know how to describe it, uh, relationship with your father. Like, uh, like you're you got something. You got yeah, something, we're close. Yeah. Yeah, we're pretty close. And, you know, <laughs> the, um, the, the joke we always make is like when he. <laughs> like what we'll remember him by is him saying what what are you talking about what that's, <laughs> that's, good. that's the joke that's good because every time every time and i i said that to pierre and then like every time he sees him now you hear it and he goes what what no no what <laughs> <laughs> so well you have a very creative family i mean you um yeah your older sister was on the cover of the ohio quarterly with uh her mom with yeah uh, Mary with Lily. the uh, her designer yeah designer Lily's Lily's killing it uh, my brother Charlie just did the Ojai movie Windfall with Lily yeah, Collins with, Jason uh, Siegel Jesse, Jesse, Jesse Plemons did you see it I haven't seen it but I've heard good things it's I am going to see it's actually it, yeah. great I loved it um, it's trippy right? it's yeah it's it's a uh, it's trippy it's but it's it's got a great plot twist at the end and it's I think I I, I I'm a I'm a fan. I'm a big fan of Jason. I think he's yeah, everything he does is so good, and I always see him. And I we I know him. I, my mom did his house. I'm. Oh, yeah. That's what I was gonna say. My mom did the house that that the movie is in. Yeah. The whole house is my mom's work. All of it. She designed it. It actually used to be our house. We owned that house on and, Reeves Road. Yeah, uh, it's on. Uh, I don't know where road it's on, yeah, but um, up there. Yeah, up there somewhere, and uh, it's. It's the coolest house, and my mom completely did it, and uh, yeah, I mean, now it's Jason's house, but it's just so cool, and it's mm -hmm. it's a great movie. I'm proud of my brother, Charlie, and Well, he my, did another movie in Ojai. Yeah, that's the one I love. He the did one that. I love with Elizabeth Moss. Yeah, and Mark Duplass. I, I saw Mark Duplass loading gear out. They've done a scene in Bonnie Lou's. Yeah. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, this is Mark Duplass and he's schlepping gear? Where's, <laughs> only where's my his brother, people? Only my brother Charlie could get Mark Duplass oh, to, to be schlepping gear. gear. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a great movie, too. I saw that one, too. Uh -huh. uh, that was really... That uh, was at... That was a trippy movie. It's a trippy sure. movie. It's crazy. Uh, that one was shot at uh, Mary and Ted's old house. Yeah. Up on, uh, by Which Thatcher. is Reeves Road, I think. That's Thatcher. On yeah, Thatcher. okay. Our old house used to be on Reeves Road. Okay. Maybe you're mistaking that, but yeah. All these gorgeous houses that, uh, oh, has got a lot. I got a few of them. Yeah. Your mom has been instrumental in yeah, turning those houses from dumpy old uh, musty relics into beautiful places to live. Yeah. My mom is a very, very talented, I don't even know what you call it, a designer, well, I architect. See, yeah, I see her once in a while at the Ventura Swap Meet on Wednesdays, <laughs> yeah. which is one of the most bizarre places because, yeah. you know, top flight designer like your mom will go down there to get picks. Yeah, my crazy. mom. But it's also like here's people selling broken wristwatches yeah. out of the back of their Toyotas. Yeah, totally. I got lost there when I was in fourth grade, and my mom kind of got so paranoid and freaked out i got lost i like walked away i wanted this like darth vader doll or something it was some like and i, I shouldn't say doll it was an action figure i don't yes but, um, <laughs> but uh no you're okay to say that yeah now. I mean, no yeah it's 2022 right yeah. and um no but uh that yeah we went to the uh, the swap meet and i was with my auntie uh She's not really my auntie, but I could just we just call her. She's kind of like my auntie. She's Libby from Scotland, you know. Scotland. She, yeah, she's. A, I I like to think she's the only person who can make tame my dad 
A little really? bit. Yeah, she's like, oh, you monster. Malcolm, you bloody twat, you know. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, I love. I actually want to go back there. I haven't been there since I got lost there, but it was yeah. kind of a fun. It's a fun place to wander around. Yeah, but my mom is cool because she, she kind of, unlike a lot of designers who will, like, you know, go and just spend endless money on things. My yeah. mom really tries to find the really cool things and not spend that money. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what kind of sets her apart from other people. I totally see that. Yeah. A lot she, of them, they just go down to the Pacific Design Center with a, with a checkbook. and Yeah, exactly. Nuts. You know, I mean, and those people are talented. I'm not knocking what they do, but... Um, the my yeah my mom will like as you said go swap me go to antique stores I mean my whole house is like a big museum of antiques you yeah. should see it I mean it's I have actually have I went to seen your dad it was uh, it reminded me of like the Peruvian you know the colonial governor in Peru in like sixteen hundred <laughs> yeah. or something yeah but I'm sure she probably changes it out a few times like it's a work always a work in progress yeah always you know yeah yeah. So what uh, is next after this this late spring, early summer on the road, I, working on your repertoire? I don't know. That's the beauty of it, right, though? Yeah. I like not knowing. That's just my thing. Though. I just yeah. like kind of... I don't like... I mean, I don't not like having a plan, cause, but I like, like having a few... Like, just, you know, just going with the flow, you know? Yeah. And... I don't know what the future holds, but uh, I know we're going to release the full EP probably this year, or maybe early next year, but probably this year. Are you going to do a local event and do a show here in Ojai? Yeah, I'd like to. And uh, May 16th at the Vine is kind of the Pale Blue Eyes release party kind yeah. of thing. Well, I mean, let's it's, talk about it's that like a month later or two months later. You know, later, you do have your father's eyes, so that made sense to do that song. How did that, that come about? Because that's a very deeply personal song and it's really like the yeah you made yourself very vulnerable and so did your father was that like uh something that you've been thinking about or working on for a while was it uh you know a form of therapy catharsis uh you know i think that well i'll tell you how the song was written i had seen well there's two reasons why actually the song was written i always start songs with song titles I have a list of hundreds of song titles on my phone, and and uh, that's how I kind of start the song. Because if you have a title for the song, I feel then you can kind of have a you can make a story around the title. Yeah, I can totally see that. Yeah, and I and also in my songwriting, I, I love st- I, just in general songs that tell stories. I love course, songs that yeah. tell stories. Like, one of my favorite songs is Rocky Raccoon, and that's a great example of a song that tells a story about a kind of a bum who goes, and he loses his girl to another guy and goes to try to kill the guy, and then the guy shoots him, Mm -hmm. and and then Rocky Raccoon goes back to his room, and he leaves town, never to be seen again. But, um, you know, I think with Pale Blue Eyes, the original, the kind of uh, idea was... My yeah, I'm my dad's eyes for sure. I heard somebody say my dad has pale blue eyes one time. It kind of stuck with me. But I think the other thing is, I saw the uh, the band of uh, Vel- Velvet Underground with oh. Lou Reed. They have a song called Pale Blue Eyes, and it kind of sparked my memory. And I saw it, and uh, yeah, I just was like, oh, it's a great title. I want to write a song called Pale Blue Eyes, and. But the lyrics themselves, actually, I when I write lyrics, I like to. I love. I like it to have them be open ended. I don't. I don't like songs that, like if it's not a very specific. It doesn't it's mean like evocative. Yeah, you want people to evoke whatever. I want it to mean whatever they want it yeah. to mean. You know, I don't. I don't want it to. I don't want them to think that my what it means is what I say. It's whatever they want. You yeah. know. Yeah. Well, I had uh, Darren McGee, who's a well-known illustrator artist who does kind of bold graphics with these muted hues, uh, yeah. real fun wow guy. And he said, people come up and say, oh, is that about this, that, or oh, this reminds me of such and such, and oh, are you alluding to whatever? And he goes, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. Totally. Whatever you whatever you want to get out of it, yeah. I'm behind it 100%. Yeah, yeah, totally. No, totally, I agree with that, 100%. I think that 
it's in a way it's almost selfish to say that this song means this and only this because yeah. you know that kind of ruins the imagination of it i feel yeah. it ruins the, the the interaction between the listener exactly it does and that's why when i wrote pale blue eyes i actually and actually the story is P- pierre had written the piano ballad beautiful piano piece and i was just like that's a beautiful song and he's like I, we had like the chorus, the chorus. I miss your pale blue eyes, and so um, I had that, and he had recorded the piano, just the piano, and I took it. I went. His he lives by like right on the inn, and I took it and I went to Jimmy's pub and I ordered a pizza and I had the thing best, up. Best pizza. In town. Yeah, it is best. Well, actually, I really like the the other one. I don't know the name of the restaurant. The where, Air where, Pizza. No, where Jersey Mike's was. Pinion. Pinion, yeah, love that pizza. But I had the thing to my ear, and I was in the restaurant. It was pretty crowded, and I had it, and I had like a pen. I asked them for a pen and paper, and I just wrote it. And I just, I, I was like, I had the melody. Uh, we had the melody appeared, or we both had written the melody, and. Something told me it was over when you didn't even call me. And so I was like, oh, that's cool. And now I'm all alone forever and I'm tired. And so we, had, I, I just started writing the lyrics. And, wow. And then like 25 minutes. right now. <laughs> and then 25 minutes later, it just was a song, you know? Isn't that amazing? Yeah. I mean, I wrote my first song in 10 minutes. I'll play it for you if you want. It's, it's yeah, kind I'd of like a sweet little. Yeah, 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 I'll grab it. Uh, All right, Beckett. Let's. Uh, thank you. This is a real treat. Yeah, no worries. But this was the first song I wrote. I was. So I'll tell you the story of it. I um, my one of my best friends, Luca Russell Keen's yeah. kid, Luca. We used to be in a band or a band, a quartet, like a Simon and Garfunkel type thing. But we were terrible. <laughs> well, at the beginning, we were terrible. But um. I, he had written a song called Please Don't Cry, and uh, now we make fun of him for it, actually, but it, it's, I do admit it's a pretty good song. Yeah. It's cheesy is all hell, but it's, it's, a, it's got a great kind of... It's got a cool, like, guitar part. Yeah. And um, I was, he had written it before me, and I was a little jealous i'd say i was a little like oh he wrote a song now i gotta write a song great like you know rivalry as we were talking of course rivalry he wrote strawberry field so paul wrote penny lane and so i wrote a song and it's called goodbye and it has no particular meaning to me i I just wrote lyrics to it but it's very it's it ended up being kind of sad (laughs) and it's it's kind of just like uh you know it's a sweet little song there's no it's just a verse and a chorus, but yeah. you know, I was ten, so anyway. Was you were ten years old and this is the I heard the train are coming. It's taking me home to Georgia. My lady is a going. To New Orleans, we have to part now for the greater good. She always said, If she could marry me, she would. Oh, goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. Oh, goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. Oh, goodbye. This went out of tune. (laughs) This is the sad part. My mama left me when I was five. She said I'd be the greatest man alive. Oh, then she left me. For the man in the sky She always said To say goodbye Oh, goodbye, goodbye, goodbye Oh, goodbye, goodbye, 
goodbye, goodbye. Oh, goodbye, goodbye, oh, goodbye. Oh, goodbye. Whoa, that's beautiful. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you. Well, it's we're going over an hour here. Um, well, one, uh, one new segment on the podcast we do is Grab and Go. And that's just you tell me if there are fires coming into town. And aside from your like pets and loved ones, what would be the next thing that you would grab? Oh, grab? Like, oh, oh, my guitars for sure. Your yeah. guitars for sure. Yeah, 100%. That's a good one. My guitars. I, love, I, I mean, I really love my guitars. I got a really cool collection. I've got, uh, I mean, I, I'm so lucky to have this collection, but I got like a 1970. Four bolt Fender Stratocaster, which is like wow. Jimi Hendrix era. It's just in mint condition. It's like it never got taken out of the case. Yeah. Actually, it didn't ever get taken out of the case. The guy put it in the case. He, he there was a curly cord wrapped around it, yeah. and uh, it was in the case so long that the curly cord imprinted it, it indented itself on the back. Oh, so wow. there's like a big uh, a dent where the curly cord was. That and then I just bought a 1959 Les Paul, which is kind of like the Rolls Royce of guitars. It's like the the one everybody wants. It's what Jimmy yeah. Page played, and that's yeah. his guitar, '59 Les Paul. Uh, I have a, a 1970 uh, uh, custom Les Paul. I have a 1968 J200 that belonged to Rod Stewart. Wow! It's a it's a, it's just a beautiful sounding guitar. I have a a really cool my my probably my well the '59 Les Paul is probably my rarest guitar, but well actually no. My my rarest guitar is a is a I have a 1965 Firebird one prototype. It was it's a one of one. The color is the only one in existence, and it used to belong to Pete Townsend from the Who. And um, yeah, and then I have like a '69 Tele and a '65 Jazzmaster. You're gonna have to get a moving van to get all those <laughs> guitars out of there. Yeah, I got like 25 or something. Wow, that's yeah. really impressive. And you know, then I got a bunch of crappy ones, but um, yeah. Just bang on. Oh, I got an 89 Stratocaster, which is my first good electric guitar. Yeah. My mom bought it for me when I was 13, 12, 13. Nice. And uh, that's kind of my baby. I I called it, I named it Her Majesty because it's like this, it's it's called a Dakota Red, I think. Uh, it's this beautiful color red. And it's, it's and I found out, I bought it for 650 bucks at a pawn shop. And then I found out it uh, it was worth like 1200 so mm. that was kind of cool, but it's also it probably I, is a good investment. I would imagine. Oh, they're vintage guitars. They're only going to go up in value. They, I'll tell you what I've been doing. Um, I've been uh, I've been buying and selling them. I've made twenty five thousand dollars buying Whoa. and selling them. On, and then to buy more guitars with the profits. Yeah, or buy a car or buy stuff. Yeah. Actually, well, most of it. Well, has you been, have a girlfriend now. That yeah. can be expensive. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, she, <laughs> yeah. I failed my license test two times now, so Whoa. yeah. But uh, so she drives me around. She's pretty sick of it by now. But um, yeah, I've been buying and selling guitars, and um, I say they're my dad's. Well, they are my dad's guitars. He plays a little bit too, yeah. so I can say they're my dad's. I feel, and so that you know bumps up the price a little bit. And yeah. uh, you know, I'm, I don't rip people off. I you know, I I just thought it'd be cool because people can then you know people who love my dad can have a little piece of his history just yeah, a little bit sure. i mean even people if, love stories they're buying the story yeah exactly and you know my dad he'll come over and he'll go like this you know and, and he'll just he won't you know, even bang out an e chord no he can like you know he probably can play i look at all the lonely people That, you know, I don't know. that was just a little song. MP3 or MP4 to go along with. <laughs> yeah. Sell it with a, yeah. With no, a but he can, drive. you know, he can play a, a tiny bit. So, you know, he, he enjoys it. I mean, everybody likes it, too, because in my house, because, you know, it's always good to have music yeah. going on. And I think it's, you know, it's fun. And I think, you know. The only people who don't like it are my little brothers, probably, who get annoyed <laughs> when they're playing video games and they hear my amp cranked all the way up. Yeah, but, yeah, it's pretty fun. Yeah, well, thanks, Beckett. This has yeah. really been enjoyable. Yeah, well, thank and, you for uh, having me. Yeah, we'll talk again soon. Yeah, thank you. This is Brett Bradigan, Just Thinking Out Loud. It was a real treat for me to have Beckett on the podcast as the 
newest uh, member of his elite artistic family. His father, Malcolm, was on the podcast for the 50th anniversary of A Clockwork Orange, which was a fascinating conversation, as are most of our podcasts. I was really taken with Beckett because he's got a natural ease about him, which, I mean, as you heard, he just picked up the guitar and started banging away and so lyrically and beautifully. But it is a real wonder to me that this podcast, now 107 episodes, has been able to draw talent of such high quality from a town of 7,500 people. I'm not really sure how that's possible, but I sure as hell am glad that it is. Anyway, that's it for this episode. That's Brett Bradigan. We'll keep an ear out for you.